available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report uh, Online, the UCLA site <laughs> on the 24-7 Sports Network. <laughs> that wasn't planned, folks. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. Together we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. And I'm guessing by the start of this show, maybe a little Pac-12 hoops today. Oh, uh, oh you mean that, that little thing I had playing? <laughs> yeah, we're talking hoops, baby. Because UCLA's in the Final Four. Has that happened in your lifetime? Has that that's been a thing? Happened a few times in my lifetime. Nice. Happened a few times in my college lifetime, which is about the best time uh, to be uh, have your have your have your school be good at sports. Uh, yeah, because uh, you can get maximum drunk when it's happening. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a it was a sad time though, uh, because USC. Missed out on its uh, first Final Four in what? 70 years? Something like 80? that. Like the 50s. Yeah. Oregon State, very sadly, missing out on the Final Four. But very cool, making the Elite Eight. And, you know, for that plucky upstart program, USC, also making an Elite Eight. That's a big one. Uh, but UCLA? First, first time in 20 years they were in the Elite Eight. So I, it's been a while I'm, since I'm, they've done I'm well aware of that, actually. Uh, first time since uh, Sam Clancy and his fellas. Uh, made it to the Elite Eight. Uh, but UCLA, right back where it belongs, baby. Right among the nation's elite. Is it doing it as an 11 seed that had to play in a playing game? Sure. But that's just the uh, that's just the magic of the four letters, baby. I'm a full honk right now. I am in full honk mode. I've seen your tweets, and I, I, I'm glad you liked my response to your tweet about all the... Uh... Oh, have I convinced myself uh, that there is not only a path to vi- victory against Gonzaga, but there is a massive highway? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have. <laughs> Yeah, I have. There's a friggin' Audubon to victory in my brain right now. It was overall, though, we don't talk a lot of hoops here, but having three Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight was certainly something. And, you know, two of them had to play each other, so another one could have had that opportunity in Oregon. And John Wilner wrote about, you know, just like in football, you know, it's great if Washington, Oregon, or someone, like, makes a, a run but it helps the conference when USC makes a run. And he said the same thing for UCLA. Like if Oregon state made the final four or USC made the final four, it would not be as impactful for the PAC 12 as if UCLA, even as an 11 seed, even as a play in team making the final four. So that was an impressive win. Um, Gonzaga looks really freaking good. So, you you know, making the final four is, is, is great. But uh, I mean, anything on top of this, Dave has to be gravy. I, everything since I think BYU has been gravy uh, for UCLA, <laughs> um, and I think that I mean to build on Wilner's point, that's a reason why um, you know, not to get too into hoops and not to get too honky. 
that's a reason why this is actually so significant because UCLA is making a Final Four in a year where it very much should not be making a run at the Final Four and a national championship. This was a program that, given all the injuries and everything, should have been a year away. Like next year, UCLA will probably be a preseason top five, top ten team, um, and everyone will be expecting them to be a high seed and make a deep run. This year was not that. Um, by the end of the year, it was just make the tournament and then hope. Um, and for them to make the Final Four in a year like that, it, it just adds a little luster to it, to it to be UCLA doing that, especially preceding what a lot of people are expecting to come in the next couple of years. Because um, Mick Cronin's recruiting really well, um, picked up the number one player in California for next year and the year after that. Um, so there's a very good chance that UCLA is going to be among the elite for the next couple of years. And to do this in a year where they weren't supposed to be, that, that adds to the, um, the effect. Um, I agree with them to an extent. Oregon State making it, it feels more like a one-off, especially doing it with a bunch of seniors. Um, USC, the thing is Andy Enfield is recruiting really well, so you could make an argument that they're you know going to be sustainably decent for a while. Um, it's just I think anybody could see watching Gonzaga, um, there's a you know, some some lack of cohesion there at times, um, and they tend to kind of play up or down depending on just vagaries of time and space, which I think is generally a reflection on coaching. Um, but he's certainly able to get talent into that program. Uh, but yeah, yeah, for UCLA to do it um, with their uh, kind of building towards something, you know, potentially even more sustainable in the future uh, is, is obviously a very good sign for the program but also for the conference because generally the conference looks better when UCLA looks better. Just, you know, general watching Oregon state, they just sort of like kind of fell back. It's sort of like they fell back to the norm, maybe a little, that's my gut feeling. No, no basketball expert for USC. I just felt Mark few completely outcoached Andy Enfield. It just looked like, Hey, everyone thought that this long zone could cause problems. And what did they do? Like they shot, they shot over the zone and then, crashed the boards and got rebounds. So it didn't matter if they missed the shot over the seven footer trying to block them. They got the rebound and then they put it back up and in. It just, it just seemed like Gonzaga like looked at the film and go, Oh, that's how you beat this team and, and did it. You know what I mean? Like that, that's my gut feeling. I was kind of shocked actually watching that defensive game plan. It was so like the, the zone they played was so soft. Um, Gonzaga was able to get into the middle of it, just in the middle of the key, just with such ease um, that it, it was almost no resistance whatsoever, um, and that was the that was the odd thing for me um, that they didn't have a better handle on what you need. Because uh, frankly, running any zone against Gonzaga is a recipe for disaster, um, and they just didn't look like they were particularly well versed on how to even play zone against a team like that. Like you've really got to deny any kind of entry pass into that to, into the key area. Like they've got to get it maybe you know up above the elbow, but not not that deep, um, and it just allowed way too much playmaking. Um, but yeah, I thought it was definitely a case where Gonzaga had USC outcoached, and then on top of that, uh, just it, it felt like Gonzaga kind of punched him in the mouth right in the beginning, and then USC just never responded. No yeah. physicality to it, just kind of, oh, okay, more to like a happy-to-be-there type thing. Like they were happy to have made yeah. the Elite Eight, and it was just kind of done at that point. For Oregon State, I thought they showed a ton of fight ton of fight it was just they could not could not handle their defensive backboard and for the first time probably in weeks and weeks and weeks um Alatiche found athletes who could match him 
Um, you know, he was jumping over everybody for such a long time. And then in this game, finally, there were some dudes who could kind of keep up with him. Um, and uh, so he was not as big of an impact player in this one. Um, you know, I thought the zone got him back into it, but the zone also kept him from handling their defensive backboard. So it was kind of a, a you know, die by fire thing. They needed it to get back into the game, but then, um, you know, it was kind of what ultimately killed them. Um, but I mean, incredible season and to be, what was it tied in that game with three minutes to go? 55, 55. Um, incredible season, incredible end of the season for them. Uh, they beat, uh, six straight teams who were Ken Palm top 35 teams. Um, that's incredible. I don't know if you went back the last three or four years, whether they have six wins over the top 35 in Ken Palm. Um, so that, that was, that was a, that was a huge run for that program. Yeah, for, uh, for sure. And it, you know, in general, like we talked about, this was significant for the PAC 12. They needed to get some sort of momentum, getting rid of Larry Scott's one way, uh, making a, a you know a great run in the NCAA tournaments another way. So just get a little respect on the West coast. It was a, very West Coast centric tournament. If you know, like UCLA is, or Gonzaga, is 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 a very West Coast centric tournament. Oh well, here that leads to my question. So you're a full hawk mode. It's awesome reading your tweets yeah, and you stuff. Know, I'm, I'm I'm flying high. You're flying high. I mean, obviously the crash and burn could be spectacular. We likely will be, but I want to know. I'm going to give you two scenarios. Give them to me. What would you rather have happen? One on Saturday. Gonzaga just boat races UCLA, like a lot of people think. Two, UCLA, miracle win, like great shot at the end, whatever it is, and loses like a heartbreaker for the national championship in, in, in the championship game. Which would you rather have? Uh, you got to go number two. I do like that you, you pro- supplied me with the two options that are 100%. It's one of those two. Because there's no way, there's no actual way where UCLA wins the title here. Um, so it will be one way. It, it'll either be disappointing or, wow, really disappointing. Um, so I would have to go with number two. Um, knocking off Gonzaga with, and I, I am not meaning to denigrate these, uh, these, these lovely Bruins, but knocking off Gonzaga with this team would be such a ridiculous thing to do that I think we would all enjoy watching it. Like, I was watching Bomani Jones talk on uh, Highly Questionable uh, the last couple of times after the UCLA game, and just, like, the obvious disdain there is for this brand of basketball, like, just slowing it down, mucking it up, just grinding the gears. Because the thing is, UCLA, they're playing pretty elite defense right now, but they really haven't all year. Like, this team is just kind of slowing it down, making it ugly, and so many people have such disdain for it that if they do that, like if they turn the Gonzaga game into like a 65-62 just alleyway fight, uh, like just how many people will be so upset by that would be so joyous for me. Um, so I think I got to go with that and then the loss to like Houston in the final. Um, and the thing is, the loss to Houston or Baylor in the final, it wouldn't be close. It would be like they beat Gonzaga and then they lose by 15 in the title game. Uh, that's that's well, the actual action. It's good the you know the we got the torchbearer for the the conference UCLA in the final four. Uh, we've never talked this much basketball. I think if like 
if like say UCLA was the like the only team doing well, we probably wouldn't. We, yeah, you'd bring it up. No, we no, wouldn't no. Talk I mean, about I, it as I, much. I, I've got to be honest. I would probably bring it up at every conceivable opportunity, and this will not. You be could. Last, this won't be the last time I mention it on this show today. Like I will bring it up yeah. several times, most likely. Nice. Um, all right. Well, we got that uh, out of the way. Let's see. So was it Saturday? The normal format for the Final Four, right? Saturday, Monday. Yeah, Saturday. Um, It'll be the evening game for UCLA and Gonzaga, and then uh, and then Monday, yeah. All right. Um, so we'll definitely check that out. We also, some little Pac-12 uh, newsy stuff. We mentioned uh, our friend. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? <laughs> Larry Scott, um, he's out, right, as of uh, a couple months from now. The search is going on, and... Uh, According to John Wilner, he posted some information about what the uh, the turnkey ZRG um, put on their website as far as what it was, you know, their requirements would be. It seemed very open, like they weren't going to th- make a decision like, hey, we want to hire this guy and then just go that way. They were really going to try to keep their mind open. But from the description, it sounded like very anti uh, Larry Scott, they, you know, pretty much the opposite of that, which I think makes a lot of sense. They, he did post a couple of names. It looks like they haven't got, according to the sources that Wilner's talked to, they haven't come down as any kind of finalists yet. They're still weeks away, um, but, you know, it's getting closer. And he gave uh, four names uh, of potential uh, candidates. Uh, one is Randy Fleer. Uh, uh, Freer, sorry. Uh, he's a former Fox Network Group president who negotiated the company's Tier 1 media rights with the Pac-12. So he's the one that kind of fleeced the Pac-12 on that other end of it. And he also helped create the new Big East Conference with his role at Fox. Oliver Luck, you know, former West Virginia AD. He's now uh, NCAA Executive Vice President. And he has uh, had runs in the NFL Europe and the XFL. Bill Moose, uh, who played football at Washington State, was the athletic director there in Pullman and Eugene. And he's currently at Nebraska and uh, Gloria Navarez, uh, she's a former Pac-12 senior associate commissioner who left in 2018 to take take charge of the West Coast Conference. Um, so that was kind of interesting. That you know, his source said Turkey's talking to a lot of people. The advice they're getting is emphasizing a lot of different things. I'm not sure they're going to find anyone who satisfies everyone. It's uh, only going to happen quickly if they give up on the idea of the perfect person. So. That's sort of what uh, Wilner's been reporting on the Pac-12 commish. Any thoughts, David? Um, Freer sounds interesting to me. Um, you know, somebody who's got the TV experience. It looks like he was also the CEO of Hulu for a while. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and he just stepped down from that role. Um, so that is interesting to me. Maybe he's got connections there. Um Oliver Luck, that's a name that's been bandied about, I think, since the very beginning of this search, and I think even prior to it, um, just from a fit perspective. I, I Honestly, all, all I know about him is that he's talked of highly. Like, all I ever hear about him is, oh, he's a very smart guy and all that crap, but I have no idea. Um, and then um, Bill Moose is really old. I mean, not to be ageist, but he's like 70. Um just, you know, I, I don't know if that's a big factor if you want somebody who's going to be there for years and years and years. Um, and then Gloria Navarez, I don't know anything about. Um, 
but she's a current commissioner. So that's good, right? WCC. You know what's bad? What? She worked for Larry Scott. Yeah, we don't like that. Um, yeah. But uh, she looks like she's been more involved in uh, at, in collegiate athletics for longer than maybe Larry was. So, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily dispositive just being, uh, being associated with that guy. Um, so... Anyway, sounds like some interesting candidates. Um, I'm interested in learning more about them. I will go on record again. I have no idea what makes a good commissioner. Uh, I know after watching Larry Scott what kind of makes a bad one, um, but that's more based on results. Um, it's hard to really know based on resume um, which of these guys because it's just such a – I think there are so many uh, facets to the issues that uh, the Pac-12 was faced with that um, – it's it's hard to really know. Yeah, I think you need somebody who's got some just innate flexibility and ability to kind of think through problems and uh, do some uh, pretty creative problem solving. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm interested to see uh, who emerges. If uh, she left the Pac-12 because she's like this guy's incompetent, then I'd be more apt to want to hire her. Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that'd be a huge part of it. Well, they're also so it looked like things were going to wrap up a little earlier. Um, and, you know, Wilner put in his like stock report that this is falling as far as a resolution. So he feels there's two paths here. One, the vetting process moves swift, swiftly. The presidents uh, will coalesce on one candidate and search the search will conclude in the next 10 days or two weeks. And this scenario is considered highly unlikely. The the vetting takes time. Consensus is elusive. Numerous candidates are evaluated and debated. And the process runs into late April or early May. This scenario is considered highly likely. So unless someone, like, jumps off the page, uh, this might take a little longer than maybe we hoped. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just want to get... I think the important thing is Larry Scott's not going to be there. Um was it Greg Byrne was a candidate before? I think he pulled his name. He said he wasn't going to be a candidate. Um, also, uh, Patrick Chung from uh, Washington State, the athletic director there, was, I guess, being looked at for the vacant position at Kansas because that huge mess there with, with less miles. But he says he's not moving along. So that's good news for Washington State. Yeah, why would he move from Washington State to Kansas? That seems like that's a lateral move. Yeah. I don't know. They might be making more money in the Big Twelve or something. Um, Are they? You do have an elite. Much more money. You have an elite basketball program. Yeah, but you've got like an even worse football program, which is the real big ticket item for a athletic department. Yeah, but they've had some success. Um, I mean, certainly not the success Washington State's had recently, but where is there Kansas? Was some. Is that in Topeka? Uh, Lawrence, I believe. Yeah, that's right, Lawrence. So, I mean, come on, Pullman's better than that. <laughs> um yeah so we'll we'll see what happens there i mean it's good he's staying around he seems like a really sharp um athletic director so um spring football stuff arizona state wrapped up they're done Um, i saw that they were trying to play that game concurrent with some ncaa tournament games did you did you get a chance to watch that spring game ryan no i have not watched it i've really not okay I've not watched much spring football or talk. I mean, I've, I've 
covered one USC practice. They're you, having one today. Are you today, doing okay? Are you, are you handling this okay? I don't. I just don't have the Pac-12 network, and I just don't have the energy to go sign up for Sling again to get it. I'm are just you sort doing of like, okay? Like, I, this is like a wellness check now. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little disillusioned. I guess there's just yeah. Maybe yeah, maybe okay. send over a. The joy has gone out of you now. <sighs> yeah, but it's funny that ASU's done. Um, you know, they got it all done early. They, I mean, I don't know. It, it's everyone's pretty positive coming out of uh, spring football uh, for ASU. So I think the expectations couldn't be a lot higher. Um, you know, they 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 got their full spring and unlike before, I, you know, we we've been talking to some of the USC coaches and. They're just like really excited that they can actually have a full spring football. Uh, we talked to Todd Orlando this morning, the defensive coordinator, and he's like, you know, it's hard to install a culture in like four weeks of camp before a game when you're really getting ready for the game. You want to try to do that kind of stuff in the spring. So I, I think for all these Pac-12 programs, being able to get in a full spring is a is a big deal. And it, it looks like it, everything went well for Herm Edwards and uh, ASU's uh, spring ball. That's that's wonderful. We love to hear it. We love to hear spring practice updates. Uh, they're so, <laughs> I think, huge and important. Um, earth earth rattling, world changing. Spring yeah. Football. What's the is UCLA? So we can watch the full practice, two of the three per week. So we can watch ten of the fifteen. Uh-huh. No media availability. We can we get like players and coaches that they set the morning of practice. So like eight in the morning or whatever, like the day of practice, we get to do a zoom call with a usually like coach and a player or something. And then then you can watch practice. We can film like one period, but they're like the, the only practice I went to the first one that we could go to all the players were basically over a hundred yards away. So it wasn't really that, um, worth that much. And you're, we are like up on a, we're like, it's the North side of the Howard Jones field where they practice and it's the aquatic center. So we're like up on this wall like 30 feet above the practice field. So that's kind of cool. It was a pretty good vantage point, but uh, I don't know. It's It was definitely different. Uh, I just got an email from Chris Fetters. He said, outside of the second to last practice of the spring, which will be completely closed, every practice was open to the media. So that's good. Um, they'll practice four days a week starting uh, April 7th, and the spring game will be May 1st. And uh, they're going to be able to talk to... Um, he said Coach Lake four times, and then uh, the rest was split between coaches and players. So they're going to get some access in Washington, too. It sounds like you know, Arizona was letting people watch practice. Um, that's kind of cool. What, what's the UCLA situation? They're not starting until the end of April. Wow. That's going to take a while. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we haven't gotten any of those details yet. I'm assuming some of it's going to be open. They've opened it pretty much all the years in the in the past for spring ball, but usually it's on the parking lot. Um, so you can see the near field, the far field's a little bit dicier um, to get details. Um, and then they've been, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it'll be like a coach and a couple of players via Zoom would be my guess. Um, usually every day. Um, I think they probably have one day a week where it's just a coach. And by just a coach, I do mean uh, Chip Kelly because um, he does not allow his assistants to talk despite the propaganda coming out of UCLA that they allow their assistants to talk, they do not. It's false. It's a false <laughs> narrative. Uh, it'll be Chip Kelly. Um, and then uh, players, uh, probably like two players a day. Okay. Well, it'll be something. I'm sure everyone cares about the media coverage of spring practice. 
Okay. Well, I mean, if you're a fan of, you know, Arizona and you know that the, you know, last year they weren't allowed to see anything. They couldn't, we wouldn't even talk to the, you know, Kevin Sumlin wouldn't talk to anybody or whatever. It's better if you, you can know what's going on. Like for us, just being able to watch again and you're not relying on what the coaches say as far as like, oh, that guy's looking good or whatever. Like you can actually go out and see it yourself. I, I, there's something to be said for that. And so for the fans that are kind of, you know, the diehard fans that want to know what's going on um, and the, the person you trust that's covering the team gets to watch, it, it definitely helps. It matters. Spring, it matters. Spring ball matters. Um, yeah. The, uh, I, starting that late, though, David, is there concerns that, you know, you get a spring ball injury and it impacts the season? I'm sure there are. Yes. Um, that's uh, been a theory for a long time with why a lot of coaches do it earlier, um, do it in February or March. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a worry if you uh, get an ACL tear or even just a minor minor tear of some ligament um, that the recovery time will put you uh, out for the beginning of the season or at the very least fall camp. So um, I'm sure that drawback factored in. um, But I think on the other side, it'll be nicer to get some of the transfers who otherwise would have been coming in in spring quarter to be uh, there for the entirety of um, spring ball. Because if you remember in the past, they were doing it kind of split. So it would be the end part of winter quarter um, where some of the transfers or incoming freshmen wouldn't be in yet um, who wouldn't get the first half of spring ball. Um, and then they would be there for the second half. This way they'll get all whatever 15 practices they end up doing. So I guess that's a, a positive, but yeah, I would say the injury concern would be, you know, a significant drawback for doing it this late. Yeah. Um, hopefully, obviously you don't, you hope no one gets injured, but there's advantages to maybe you have, you know, there's more you can do. Uh, and you know, as you know, LA and you know, California open up more, uh, later on, you can maybe do a little bit more in your spring football practices, but yes, you're, you're getting closer to the season. Um, you know, Arizona state and Arizona, they get it done early usually because of the heat, but, um, there's definitely an advantage there. Uh, you might not get guys available that were injured in the end of the season too. So, I mean, sort of like. Pick your poison where you want to go. Right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you checked out Wilner's thing about he did an investigation on the future of the Pac-12 networks because, um, you know, there was those furloughs, there was layoffs, didn't have, uh, you know, fall games and football, you know, for football. Um, so an industry source he talked to said the conference needs to rethink everything it does. Its position has weakened in the last two years. The whole notion of the Pac-12 networks has to go and the subscriber data is just bad it's only 14.8 million subscribers now according to uh estimates by S&P global market intelligence and that's a 17 percent drop over the past two years um the big 10 and sec net sec networks have over 50 million um he said the pursuit channel has 35 million so um what less than half of uh <laughs> what the pursuit channel gets and it, he broke it down by region as well. So the national channel gets 14.8 million, but all those, you know, the the regional networks, LA, the LA one has the most, 3 million, then 2.1 million for the Bay Area, 1.1 for Washington, 1.0 million for the Mountain region, 0.07 million for Arizona, and 0.6, not 0.07, 0.7 million, and 0.6 million for Oregon. 
um, and low subscriber fees uh, for all of those. So you got to rethink it. I mean, the very least is get rid of the regional ones, right? Like that's like the write that on the whiteboard in permanent marker and then go from there, I, I would assume. Yeah, I think um, uh, probably smartly they're going to wait to make those sorts of decisions until they have a new commissioner in place, or they should, to see what he wants or he or she wants to do with um, all of that. Because I don't know, and I can't imagine it matters, um, but when they do go to negotiate some new TV rights deal um, with the destruction of the network... Um, whether they'll have additional leverage if they've still got all those weird little networks available or if they won't. Um, so I think all those decisions for later, but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously they can't continue with this format, this model. It doesn't work. Um, the inventory itself is useless as anyone could have told them. Um, you know, and that's what we talked about a bunch on this show. Just, you know, whether you want it to be or not, um, the sports that are minor are minor because nobody watches them or cares about them. And I don't mean nobody, but I do mean like very few people care about them. Um, and it's hard to train people to care about something new. I was thinking about this recently, but like the things I care about sports wise are all things I started to care about when I was still like, you know, not even having like a fully formed brain. Um, like I don't care about new things. Like I've watched, like, and this is yeah, a, a dark commentary, I guess, on my general sexism. I've watched women's basketball recently. I've watched like um, the women's NCAA tournament, and it's really good basketball. Like, I don't know if you've watched it at all, but it's like really good basketball. But I just don't care. Like, I just don't care because I didn't watch it a lot when I was like, and I think that's part of it is I didn't watch it a lot when I was um, in my formative uh, sports years. Like the same way, like if I watch soccer, I don't care. Like, I do not care at all about watching the U.S. team. Um, you know, it's like, oh, okay, that's a nice little novelty. But I can't sit around caring about it. And I've tried to get into the Premier League a few times, and I'm just like, I, don't, I know soccer. Like, I played it for a number of years, but I never watched it, so I just don't care about this. Um, and I think uh, trying to train people to care about water polo or, you know, collegiate tennis or, you know, all the number of things that are on there, even collegiate baseball which I think has, you know, maybe a bigger in with people because they like professional baseball, getting people to care about it at that level as adults, because that's mainly the people who are watching their TV, uh, I think is pretty close to an impossibility. Um, you got to start people young caring about any of this stuff. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I, I think um, those networks built as they are largely on... Um, lesser sports i shouldn't say lesser sports but sports that fewer people care about um they're just not they were never going to get off the ground yeah uh, you know i've heard that i've not watched any uh, you know full disclosure any of the you know women's uh, ncaa basketball it's tournament really but good I've, it's like I've really good, good basketball. really good things yeah it's really good basketball like if you if you appreciate basketball on like an aesthetic level it's really good it's just i don't it's a lack of personal investment, and I don't think it's. I mean, because I so like I used to watch, I used to watch a lot of te- uh, a lot of tennis um, early on in college. So I can get really into professional tennis, like men's and women's. Like if I sit around and watch that for a while, I'll get super into it again. Um, so I don't think it's like. I mean, I'm sure there's some latent sexism in there too, but like I don't think it's purely sexism. I think it's that I never got into it at a young enough age, and so it's just like. It's again, it's kind of like a, an aesthetic novelty. I can appreciate the game on a certain level, but I don't have investment in it. 
Um, the same way, like, I didn't watch a ton of – I never watched a ton of hockey. So, like, a really good hockey game, yeah, I can sit there and watch it, but I could never get invested in it, ever. Um, yeah. It's just one of those things, I think. I uh, it's, I never got into hockey until I started playing, like, the Sega video game that had all the players' names on it in uh, college. That was, like, 93 or so. I like, like, whatever, NHL 93 back in back in the day. Um, yeah. That was uh, that was good, but I never got into soccer. I play the soccer video game, and I would just want to like take the guy and run with the ball. And my friends like, "No, you got to pass around." I'm like, "Screw that!" I'm like, "I'm not passing backwards." That's what stupid. a very USC attitude. You just want to take the ball yeah. and run with it, not share. Not share. No, I don't want to. I don't share. Um, nice. Oh, I have one other little piece of news. Uh, I don't know if it's news, but it's kind of like the the last thing we're going to talk about. Did you see? The Pac-12 sent out this email. This was a couple days ago. Pac-12 Network secures international distribution for Pac-12 Insider with launch on a new UK-based streaming platform, Sports Tribal TV. What did you just say to me? (laughs) The headline is, okay, I'll I'll read you the first paragraph. San Francisco. Pac-12 Network has has announced the launch of Pac-12 Insider on its first International platform, Sports Tribal, extending its reach to the UK. Pac-12 Insider is the first and only college sports channel on the new Sports Tribal platform, bringing the best of Pac-12 sports to an even greater number of fans. Like, literally, you're putting it on a brand new streaming service across the pond where college sports basically doesn't exist. That's what we're doing. It's a final gift from Larry Scott. It's beautiful. I mean, there should be someone at the Pac-12 that says, all right, we did this. We're not going to tell anybody we did this. This doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I just, they, they don't, I don't know. I, I, whatever the self-edit button is, they just don't really have it over there. They, they've sent out some weird press releases. Um, good for them. Uh, maybe they build an audience out there. <sighs> What? No, but like people, like you, you meet people from like France and they're like, you play sports in college? And it's like, no, I mean, like they don't care. Like their best players go play professional right away. You know, there, there's no like college soccer. Like soccer's huge, right? They're not playing like college soccer. They're, they go to the professional leagues. Um, one of the quotes is Sports Tribal is a perfect fit for Pac 12 Insider. We're excited to provide some of the best Pac 12 network content to fans across the pond. I said Pac-12 Network Vice President of Distribution, Henry Watson. They have a Vice President of Distribution. You should be fired just because they're terrible at that. With so many college sports fans feeling energized by March Madness, the timing couldn't be better to increase the reach and accessibility of our Pac-12 content to an even greater international audience. It's like, what? Like, how about DirecTV, dude? Like, like, there should be some moratorium on if you're getting a streaming service that no one in the United States can even get, but unless it helps someone in the PAC 12 footprint, get the PAC 12 network, then you can't announce it. I, I think that's what the rule should be. Yeah. I'm with you on that. So dumb. So dumb. All right. I just wanted to leave on that one. Okay. Do you have anything else? Or should we, uh, take a little break and move on to questions? No, no, I've got nothing else except to say that, um, UCLA made the final four. <laughs> you didn't bring it up for the rest of my, my newsy rant stuff. That's because you actually put me to sleep. 
You actually did. <laughs> I went to sleep um, sometime in the middle of discussing like Pac-12 uh, subscribers. Um, you know what we forgot to do? I, I forgot to do the whole like rest of the intro because we just like jumped in. Oh wow! Uh, intro us. Do people know what they're listening to? You're listening to the podcast of champions, but just if you want to email us, because we're going to read some emails now, you can email pac12podcast at gmail.com. We actually have a couple of voicemails. Um, if you want to leave us a text message, I think we might have one of those too. Uh, the same number, 424-532-0678. You can tweet us at pac12podcast. The website is pac12podcast.com. Reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions. If you like to get in on the reddits and uh, Apple podcasting app. If you got that on your phone, you got it on your iPad or something, you got to follow us. It's now following. It's not subscribing anymore, David. Do you know that? It's follow. Okay. And rate us. Five stars would be awesome. We we love that stuff. And I was going to say, the why I remembered this was because I was going to say, that stuff that puts you to sleep, David. So when someone leaves us a review and they say, and they talk a little bit about Pac-12 football, that's usually me at the top of the show, like reading some news that you don't care about. Yeah, but I, I feel like they don't care. I feel like they don't care about it. I feel like they're aligned with me on this. I, they're not listening to this for our Pac-12 football talk, are they? There's plenty of people that would like to hear some Pac-12 football. Oh, geez. And they just don't get it. Yeah. Um, um, well, we do have a few reviews. Are you ready for them? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right. This is from uh, Listen McListener. Five-star review. David Woods, please read this review. Okay. Since you guys will read any and every five-star review, David Woods, read this review credited to free to rightfully earn all five stars. Read it in any manner that resembles singing, and you will be rewarded with another five-star review next week by either myself or hopefully that weird Stanford Zodiac killer guy. All right now. Okay, so these are the lyrics to All Right Now. Yeah. Okay. All right, let me see if I can get the tune in my head real quick. All right. There she stood in the street, smiling from her head to her feet. I said, hey, what is this now, baby? Maybe she's in need of a kiss. I said, hey, what's your name, baby? Maybe we can see things the same. Now don't you wait. Or hesitate, let's move before they raise the parking rate. All right now, baby, it's a all right now. All right now, baby, it's a all right now. I took her home. Oh, I got more to go, dude. I took her home to my place. Watching every move on her face. She said, look, what's your game, baby? Are you trying to put me in shame? I said, slow, don't go so fast. Don't you think that love can last? She said, love, Lord above. Now you're trying to trick me in love. All right now, baby, it's all right now. All right now, baby, it's all right now. All right now, baby, it's all right now. All right now, 
Oh, baby, it's all right now. All right. So that's the song. Well done. I thought I nailed it. Okay. Right. Very, very good. I thought I nailed it. I, I mean, I couldn't do that. Like, um, very, yeah, great. I mean, that was a long review. We appreciate that. Well, we got more to read here. Uh, can anyone think of another podcast that would do this crap? I think not. <laughs> Hence, five stars. Yours truly, listener, McListener. Uh, nice. Then we've got DJ Alexander, the beard and the guy who got lucky on Price is Right, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come for the football, stay for the, well, just about everything else. And then nice. uh, 503, five-star review, and it's just five stars as the subject line and the body of the message. Love it. Nice. Um, it's funny. I like a friend of mine that was like, wait, you do this. I'm, I'm trying to ex- explain the podcast. And uh, so I'm like, well, let me read you some of the reviews and you'll get the <laughs> feel. The one where they called me like a Romney Republican and you were uh, uh, some kind of communist or something. I, I read that and they're like, wait, did you guys talk about sports? I'm like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they played it on their iPhone and they got in their car like later on and like just bla- like it was blaring. They, they forgot that they were listening to it and they're like, I thought you were in the car. And I was like, oh, no. So then they listened to it a while. And they're like, you guys talk about a lot of weird stuff. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's what we do. We do. Uh, all right. Oh, that was all the reviews. Well, thank you for the reviews. Those are awesome. And uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and answer some questions. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, hey, we're back. It's all right now. It's all right now. Yeah. We're not going to get murdered by the Zodiac Killer now. No. Yeah. um, He he was not letting that go, by the way. So I'm glad. That was a great uh, you know, method to deliver it to get you to do it right. Like, put it in a five star review. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, uh, luckily, I had the tune in my brain, and it was helpful to see the lyrics. Yes, no, I think that helps. I mean, he seemed pretty smart for a Stanford guy, right? So that that's good a way to do it. It only took him like three months to figure out. Hey, put it in a review, and it'll, we'll we'll read it. <laughs> exactly. That's all we I need. guess I could have put it in email too, but um, we had. Do you want to do the voicemails first and get to the emails? How would you like to do this? Um, I'm open to whichever format makes you the happiest because I am in the business of making you happy, sir. I, this is a, that's a great business. I love it. Uh, well, let's just uh, let's play one of the voicemails. Here we go. What's up, guys? This is Evan from Tempe. Uh, 
thinking about uh, something you guys said a while back. Uh, Ryan said all USC fans should want USC to hire Luke Fickle, and David said that all uh, non-USC Pac-12 fans shouldn't want USC to hire Luke Fickle, and they shouldn't want him to go there because that could be bad news for them. And uh, I agree with, with that, and so I was just thinking, you know, do you think that he'd be the best coach uh, in the Pac-12 just in general? And then um, if so, is that even saying that much? Because, you know, to me, the Pac-12 is a pretty uh, weak, weak coach conference. I mean, the only guys I think you have that aren't bad or, you know, don't have any kind of question marks next to them or I guess maybe Sean Whittingham. I might believe in that with somebody. I don't think I am, though. I mean, and no offense like Jimmy Wake or like uh, Carl Durrell, because, I mean, they haven't really had a chance to prove themselves, but I understand that like, the only proven guys I think would probably be Shaw and Winningham. So uh, if I could just get your thoughts on uh, what Luke, how Luke Fickle would place in the Pac-12 and, you know, what he could mean to the Pac-12, that would be great. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah, great question. Um, I think you're pretty dead on uh, in your assessment of the Pac-12 current coaching landscape. Um, I think you've got a lot of unproven or proven eh, above average, um, and I think that's probably fair, just to, more or less across the board. With Luke Fickle, um, I think he's legitimately a good to great coach. Uh, he has, um, per SRS, his, his, his last two seasons are two of the best Cincinnati seasons of all time. Um, generally when you're looking at elite coaches or you want, or coaches generally, you want to compare them to what people have been able to do with their school historically. Um, and so Luke Fickle, when you're trying to assess him, uh, you don't want to just do it in a vacuum or compare him to whatever, something somebody's doing at Alabama or something somebody's doing at LSU. You want to compare him to, okay, what do guys do at Cincinnati? What is, what is typical for that job? And what he's doing is atypical. Um, the last guy to have similar success there was Brian Kelly, and before that, nobody. Um, it's basically him and Brian Kelly at the top of the board. So um, I think Luke Fickle is an obvious, uh, potentially elite guy. Um, and I think once he enters uh, whatever league he's going to be in, he's going to be one of the top guys in that league. In the Pac-12, I think he would, from day one, uh, be the best coach and the most proven coach uh, wherever he lands. Yeah, I, I mean, we haven't seen him at the, the Power 5 level, but just, you know, from some of the stuff I've read about him and you know, you, what I've seen from Cincinnati, I think he would be a, you know, an excellent coach in the Pac-12 and, uh, you know, could certainly do some great things at, at USC. So I, I think there's going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of good candidates if they end up making a move. But, I mean, I, I think his name is going to come up quite a bit, you know, because he's such a great coach, like like David was saying, but also because... Mike Bone hired him, and he's now the athletic director at USC. Yeah. So he hired him in Cincinnati. Just so people have some context here, just from like a pure record perspective, here's what he has done as a head coach. 2017, he's hired at Cincinnati, and he goes 4-8. and eight. The next year, he goes 11-2. and two. The year after that, he goes 11-3. and three. And the year after that, this year, he went 9-1, and one, uh, truly elite. Uh, from an SRS standpoint, which is basically just a, a simple advanced rating system, he was a negative 10 in year one, uh, which is basically he was 10 points worse than like a just purely average team. So if you played a purely average team on a neutral field, he would be expected to lose by 10. That's really bad. By year two, he was a seven, seven points above average. By year three, uh, nearly 11. And now in year four, he was a, a 15. Um, just the trajectory that you're looking at there, 
is that is the mark of an elite coach, like somebody who can immediately turn something around like that and then have it just trending constantly upward. Um, that's that's the kind of thing that would be scary at a school like USC, um, yeah. where the baseline talent level will never allow you to have a season like that 2017 Cincinnati year. Um, like when you start at where he is right now, basically at Cincinnati, like with that quality in terms of advanced stats, um, the the cap on that is there. There really is no cap. Like he could have, you know, he could have an amazing run wherever he lands. Um, but at USC, with the natural advantages there, um, you know, there's there's really no limit to the potential. Well, thanks for the question, uh, Evan. Um... Dave, you want to maybe we'll read a couple of emails and I'll go back to the voicemail. Do you want to start with uh, John and Brea? You want me to? Sure, I'll handle that. Um, okay, so that's the new POC format. Yes. Okay. Uh, dear Ryan and Dave, it's been a while since I've written, and I must say I like the pivot to a more basketball-focused podcast with a little bit of talk about punting. With four Pac-12 teams in the Sweet 16, it's clear that Champagne Larry's goal to have the Pac-12 be more like the Big East is finally being realized. Deep down, deep down, this has always been a basketball conference. Uh, it's been fun to see the talking hair-dyed heads on ESPN, TBS, and CBS backpedal and make excuses for the failings of their beloved Midwest basketball. They just can't resist saying things like, Mick Cronin has struggled to find physical tough-minded players on the West Coast, or run a feature that legendary coach John Wooden is actually from Indiana, which somehow proves this is where the best basketball is played in 2020. And finally, ESPN reseeding the Sweet 16 and placing the four Pac-12 schools at 12, 13, 14, and 15 behind Oral Roberts and only ahead of Creighton. The only way to change this perception is to have a Pac-12 team win this thing. Oh, but wait, two Pac-12 teams are playing each other in the Sweet 16 because the committee figured there is no way they both would make it this far. But this happens all the time, right? Nope, it's only happened one other time in history. Nice. Uh, in keeping with the new, yeah, and that was so stupid, uh, because all they had to do was put Oregon over on the other side of the bracket, because there was nobody in that one, and move Florida over as the seventh seed to, uh, to, to USC's bracket. So stupid. Uh, yeah. and it was all to accommodate, I, I think at some level, BYU, because they didn't want to play on Sundays, whatever. Just, uh, whatever. Uh, in keeping with the new podcast of Champions format, I have a couple of questions. One. Let's say the new commissioner decides to see to fruition Champaign-Larry's plan to turn the Pac-12 into a 16-team basketball-only conference. Which four schools in the West would you add? Well, Uh, basketball-only opens some possibilities. Gonzaga. But the thing with Gonzaga, and there are so many people situated in eastern Washington that are spitting mad that we're not calling them Gonzaga. So many people. Because that's how you're really? apparently supposed to pronounce it, but I'm going to stick with uh, the you know my dude, the Italian guy named Gonzaga, and continue calling them Gonzaga. But I've it, only heard I didn't realize that. Oh, I've it's, only it's heard. Gonzaga. That's why they're the Zags, not the Zogs. They'll tell you that in like a very pretentious Eastern Washington accent. Um, yeah, okay, it's not a pretentious accent. They just like to flatten their A's. Um, uh, which schools in the West would you add? I don't know, but would you would uh would uh the Pac-12 ever add a school with a uh you know I would say a decently uh important uh religious affiliation? Um, it didn't seem like it. It would have to be like now they're Jesuit, so like Jesuits bordering on like whatever, you know? Yeah, I mean it's it's not like BYU, right? It's not that. 
yeah, I don't know that it's like a pronounced part of like I don't know. I, I honestly don't know much about it as an institution, but I don't know how much of it is actually an, a, like a day to day important thing. Um, but like in real life, you're not adding basketball schools. Like they would have to bring yeah. football revenue. Yeah. So let's say, but like for the intents and purposes for 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 this for this purpose, I should say. Uh, so Gonzaga, fine. Um, San Diego State. I think so. They, they're the first one that came to mind. Um, and then West Coast basketball. Uh, you probably got to go. Boy, maybe the final resurgence of USF basketball. You know, bring them back from the Bill Russell. Ooh, I like that. That'd be kind of nifty. And then um, would you do BYU? It's like the yeah, maybe little... throw BYU in there. You know, that's yeah. probably the four uh, best-ish teams in the uh, in the West that aren't in the Pac-12. Nice. I don't think we're forgetting anybody. Um, and then uh, two, does it bother you that punters wear football pants that look like shorts? And if one of those punters from Australia runs outside the tackle box to kick the ball, shouldn't the defense be allowed to cream the guy? Um, I think they can, right? I thought. Yeah, I think they can. I think it's a live person when they're outside. Of I the... think once you break the the, you have that little pocket area. Yeah, that's why they're always so close to getting drilled when they go out that way. Um, yeah, I think you're allowed to. I think so too. And um, the football pants that look like shorts have never really bothered me. No, uh, I'm not a big like uniform guy. Like if it's I something, uh, yeah, I just don't care. Some people are like, "Can you believe they're wearing those socks?" I'm like, "I didn't even know they were wearing socks." Okay, that's fine. If it's something huge, like okay, that fullback from 1987 is wearing a neck roll. Like okay, I noticed. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> or like when they're playing basketball and they're asking like, "What kind of shoes are they wearing?" And I'm like, "I, I don't know." I don't, I don't know, and I don't care. I, I, the, what shoe a dude was wearing has never. The only time <laughs> I've ever noticed or cared was when like Zion blew out that blew his tire out. Was it was it Nike he was wearing? And like, did you remember that when he was in? I think it was in Duke or something. And he. No, I care uh, about shoes even less than you do. Apparently. He cut like made a cut or something, and just basically the sole of his shoe like blew out like. He came out of his shoe, and it was like the worst like marketing. Um, you can Google that one and check it out. But it was, uh, I think it was when he was at Duke. That was the only time I ever like, oh, he wore this kind of shoe, and it sucked. It broke <laughs> while he's playing. Uh, this one's from Matthew from Mountain View. Uh, NCAA play in game performance and Pac-12 mascots. Not again. Apparently again. Hello, Dave. Uh, time for Ryan to take a bathroom break. Uh, I have a theory as to why the at-large play-in winners, such as UCLA this year, tend to overperform in the main bracket. Consider the following. The committee does an imperfect job of seeding teams, either by performance, like, for example, record, NET rating, or by predictive metrics, like Ken Palm ratings. Two, even if the committee did a perfect job based on available data, they would still be at a disadvantage because 25 to 30 games just aren't, just aren't enough to definitely evaluate most teams' true talent level. Think about some of the past teams that were ranked highly in the preseason, underperformed during the regular season, then then went on a run to the Final Four, uh, like Kentucky with Julius Randle in 2014, preseason number one, went 24-10, and 10, got an eight seed, and then turned it on and went all the way to the championship game. Therefore, you can th- uh, think of half the teams being overseeded and half being underseeded. The trick is figuring out which teams are which. Conveniently, we get an extra data point on the play-in teams because they play each other right before the tournament. So basically, 
we can assume that whichever team wins the play-in game was underseeded uh, and therefore far more likely to overperform in the main bracket. For net results, historically, 11 seeds win their first round game 33% of the time. 12 seeds are even worse, uh, while the play-in winners pull off the upset 45% of the time. Thoughts? Interesting. Um, I think it, 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 it certainly sounds good. I think it's a little too neat. Um, but uh, it works as well as any other explanation. I've always just kind of bought the, it's easier to play that game once you've built up a little bit of juice um, after uh, winning that play-in game against a similarly situated opponent, um, somebody who's at the same-ish level as you, because um, I think it has to. That's generally going to be a pretty competitive game. Um, so you've played something that uh, can have tournament energy. Like the thing with UCLA this year is um, playing Michigan State in that play-in game. Um, it really was like if you watch that game, it had a real NCAA tournament feel to it. Like it felt like tournament-level basketball. Um, and I think it, it maybe prepares teams a little bit better than even a conference tournament does, and especially a conference tournament that ended, you know, five or six days before the tournament. Um, kind of gets them in that, you know, style of play, that style of thinking about the game, um, if they win. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much it plays into the under-seeding, over-seeding thing, because I think that basketball... Uh, it's just in, you, you don't have enough data points at any one point to truly prove the quality of a team. And I think just one additional one at that point isn't that significant. I think it's more about um, what the what a, what the level of a game um, between a play in between two play in teams that really want to make the tournament, what that then gives the team that wins in terms of confidence, whatever, in terms of experience winning a tournament basketball game the things you have to do, um, the commitment you have to show, like all that kind of stuff. Um, I think maybe that is more significant, but um, certainly an interesting theory. Yeah, I think it's an interesting theory. I think with athletics, but uh, team sports, there's so many variables, right? I mean, you got all these variables, all these equations, you're trying to figure out, well, what is this going to mean? It just doesn't mean the same thing all the time. There's so many factors, there's so many, you know, um, initial conditions that you have to take into consideration when Oregon played Iowa. Well, were they going to be rusty or were they going to be rested? And so Oregon wins. They're like, Oregon was rested. That's why they won. If they lost it, Oregon was rusty. You know, there's, there, it could go either way. Um, and you know, we see this in the NFL playoffs, the team that gets a buy. Sometimes they have that week off. Well, they're, they, they rested their injuries. They looked awesome. Or, man, they look like they haven't played for two weeks. And I, I think that same team, that same Oregon team, if you played the tournament a month from now in the exact same scenario, they might not play as well as they did. Just I, I think there's so many factors at play. Um, the, the extra data point, I, I don't think that that's – underseated, overseated – a lot of basketball games are coin flips anyway, right? Like, I don't think just because you won the playing game, you were most likely the underseated team. Maybe you were, uh, probably better than 50% chance, but it's not like a hundred percent of those teams that win are going to be the underseated team. So there's just, I mean, it's, it's basketball. Like so many things could happen and just, you know, 
great players can play poorly. It just, it's just, it just happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. And especially in kind of the weird um, formats and, and settings of uh, NCAA tournament, you know, in a particular game, you might be playing in a stadium, like a huge football stadium, um, or in a different place that you're not familiar with the rims. And like, you'll see teams that shoot it really well, suddenly everything's hitting back iron because they're just not used to shooting with that backdrop or whatever. I mean, it's just, yeah. but it's like any sport, um, a single data point of any sport, um, is tough. I think football is one where, um, I think just because so many different things are happening, um, it tends to bear out that the best teams are usually the ones that win. Um, it does seem like it's a little bit less upset, um, prone than, uh, than basketball or baseball. Um, maybe a little bit lower variance, but basketball, it's just, you know, and a lot of it is like very much matchups. Um, you know, it can just be a weird, weird thing. Um, so yeah, I don't, I I don't really buy the underseeding overseeding thing really ever. Um, I think it's just a matter of like, honestly, I thought the seeding was generally pretty good in this one. I think the PAC 12 teams were just generally better, um, at the end of the season than they looked at the beginning for a lot of different reasons, but the committee couldn't, I mean, they had to make decisions based off resume. So I completely understand the way they seeded everything. Um, just, you know, kind of one of those weird things, the NCAA tournament, I think it's why it's so exciting at a certain level is because of all the kind of weird things that can happen. Like, uh, UCLA team that lost, you know, two of its three best players, probably, uh, making this kind of run. It's just one of those weird things. And, you know, we look at these games, especially the one-and-done ones, as, like, absolutes. Like, would you say Oregon State, USC, and UCLA are, you know, in the top eight in the country because they made the Elite Eight? Like, I, I'd probably not. Like, not maybe one of them. I don't think all three of them would be. But we look at these absolutes like, oh, they made a run, and they're in there. I mean, you watch the seven-game series that you have for the NBA would be, you know, yeah, the most similar to this, you know, one team wins by thirty and then they lose by twenty-five. The next game was like, that's the exact same team two days later. You know? Yeah, it's like what? Maybe on the same court. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, all right. Uh, oh, so he they also said, as for the pack full of mascots, here it comes. Which of the actual real life mascots would win in a fight? I don't mean bears, bears with laser eyes, magical creatures, etc. I'm talking about Oski. Uh, is it? Oski. Yeah, Oski, sorry. Joe Bruin, Puddles, the tree, and the rest. Give your best or worst shot. Keep up the good basketball work, Matthew from Mountain View. So what you're really asking me is which character in a big costume that's most likely just like the tallest or shortest kid in band uh, is the one who is going to win this fight? Yeah, I think that's what we're... Got to go with the drunk person in the tree, right? I would think that drunk tree dude is, he gives no shits, right? Like he's, he's he, like, he would take a few punches and roll around the dirt with you, knee in the nuts. Like he, I think he would be the one that would be the toughest to fight. I just, uh, he would be the wild card to me. So I would agree with you. Yeah. 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 Um, I've got further thoughts. Puddles, I think. The, a lot of TV time. I think that's probably like a um, a prime role. Like that's like a prime job. Like that's not like the drunkest 
craziest dude in the Stanford band. That's like they you know they have tryouts and you it's an honor to be puddles. Like you're probably getting like a trust fund dude uh, running puddles. So I think puddles would probably get his ass kicked. I mean the dude for or the whoever it is the the, the what is it the like drum leader or whatever for USC who does the Tommy Trojan thing. Oh, so if you're going to say, so if it's the, well, the person with the sword leading the band. Yeah, it was a girl last time, right? Yeah, uh, she's a, you know, she's a bigger girl. She's like six feet tall, you know, but. Well, what I'm really saying is that person has a sword. They have a sword. So that would be an advantage. And she is not a small person. Not like she's fat or something. She's. No, I don't care. Like if it's a five foot tall person with a sword that probably kicks the hell out of any of these people. I, I like if we're talking a battle to the death, I mean that sword can stab fields, um, so I'm sure it can stab people. Yeah. So if you're talking about her, I would put her near the top of the list for sure. Just having a weapon where others don't. If no, you're no, talking that's about top the, of the, the list, no matter what, she has a weapon. None of these other the, ones have weapons. The cartoon. If you're talking about the cartoon dude at the basketball thing with a big smile on his face, I think. Well, he gets lumped in with all the other ones. Yeah, he would get lumped in with all the other ones. Um, but yeah, having the sword, I think that's a, that's a big one. Is there any other, do we have any other weapons for the, probably not. I don't know who else would be a weapon. Maybe ASU, do they have a pitchfork? Yes. But is yeah, it like a real pitchfork really or, is it a, or is it a foam thing? Mm, I don't know if it's a real pitchfork. That's a good point. All right, hang on, hang but, on. ASU mascot, I, I need an image. I need a, I need a real that, and that. I always remember that dude is be, like because he's got he doesn't have like a puffy costume he's got like a he's wearing like a more football a uniform basically he's what he's wearing a football uniform basically is that what it is like he, he, looks he puts like, a uniform he, on over it you know what that thing looks real or it looks like I don't know it's hard to tell from images um, okay so, so I'm gonna say it's between the Sun Devil person and the uh, the the person with the sword the for drum ASU. leader like the USC drum leader yeah yeah fine. Um, the the try if it's a real like trident kind of thing, pitchfork deal. There's some uh, you got some range on that as far as like you can throw it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Can, yeah, so that would be a good one. Now I think a sword, oh, like, a sword is a more practical weapon that pe- people are probably more likely to be trained in its use, at least to an extent. Like we've all, you know, we've all cut things with a knife. Like we get it. Like it might be hard to intuitively know how to use a pitchfork or throw it. So true or a trident whatever you want to call it. Um, so maybe maybe there's an advantage there um, for the person wielding the sword. Um, I think I'm going to go sword. I'm going to go, I'm gonna okay. go, I'm gonna go USC there. Of the puffy costume folks, just like the, like the cow, like, uh, I, I don't know, like there's like a softness sort of there to me. I already gave you my thoughts on puddles. We both agree on the tree. What what about Joe Bruin? Is that what is it gonna be a tough guy in there? No, the think? same same softness thing that's going on with Cal. Okay. Um, I think it's because we all get like teddy bear vibes from it, you know? Yeah. Is there I don't think Washington has one. I don't think Washington State has one. Um does Utah? I have no idea. Now, if they had like a Ute with a bow and arrow or something, that'd be... Let me see if I can pull up a mascot image for Utah. There's something called a swoop. It's like an eagle, it looks like. Okay. I don't know, he looks kind of badass. Nice. He rides a motorcycle. 
Oh, I mean, transportation. That's well, pretty big. Puddles does that sometimes, too, I think. If you went with, like, the Tommy Trojan for USC, he had a horse. There's something there, too. A sword and a horse. I mean, Washington has an actual husky. Right, but that we're not doing... These have to be, like... Oh, maybe, well... Well, the all right. So Washington State, Washington he State, said no bears, so no huskies. Washington State has Butch T. Cougar. Um, it's a puffy, puffy thing, right? Yeah, I would say he's he looks pretty soft too. He's okay. got like kind of a softy smile to him. Um, looks like a little baby cougar because he's only got two teeth on the bottom. <laughs> Even if that's correct, I think you got to go with more teeth. Um, the, uh, what what about the beaver mascot? That's like the, with the big buck teeth one. Yeah, there's no way. That's not that's not very uh, scary in any no, way. No, and I, I feel like there would like that one would topple over a little bit. It just doesn't seem super uh, balanced. Yeah, no, there's no way. All right, so we're going ASU versus uh, USC. All right, sounds good. Well, thank you, Matthew, for that one. Um, I'll play you a second voicemail, and then we can uh, you can do the next one. Uh, here's a voicemail. Hey guys, what's up? It's Perk. Uh, my question is for Ryan. Um, I was wondering with USC making a, a deep tournament run this year for their first Sweet 16 in a while. I was wondering if you see USC dedicating um, more time and, and money to the program, especially with their AD coming from Cincinnati. Uh, I've had a pretty solid basketball tradition there. Um, also, I you know I've always viewed USC as a basketball uh, as a program that should be a lot better at basketball, but just doesn't seem to care and. Um, has the potential to be a very good program. And I was wondering if you uh, thought that as well. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Perk. Uh, just from, you know, when I was in college, uh, well, like, what was it? Uh, Harold Miner was there, and there was some excitement. There's always been a little bit of excitement, and then it just sort of goes away. They might get, uh, you know, a, a, a one-and-done guy, and they just don't do that much with it. This was the first year that they actually, you know, made a run with, a lottery pick kind of guy. They don't get them all the time, but when they do, they sort of like kind of underperform. They have a, it's sort of like the, the Kings in Los Angeles. Like they have like kind of a passionate fan base, but it's not as big as other ones. Now the Kings fan base is bigger. And, you know, similar like with, I, I think they care about USC basketball, UCLA people care about UCLA football, but like you're kind of bread is buttered with the, you know, the football or basketball team on the other side. Um, I do believe Mike Bone, the new athletic director, Really cares. I mean, <laughs> you know, he. I was at. I was covering a basketball game when he first got hired. He normally sits like mid court. He's like into the game. He's cheer. Like he's really into the basketball. And he sat courtside once. And I, when I first met him, I introduced myself to him. And he's like, "Come sit down with me." So I'm sitting down courtside with him, and he's asking me all these questions. I, good thing I, you know, knew something about the basketball. <laughs> but he was asking all these different guys. So he definitely cares. Um, for sure. And you know, they're recruiting well. I don't you know, know if any Enfield's like some kind of elite coach, but they made a, an elite run this year. Uh, we'll see if that was that all talent or was that, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you got to give them some credit. They did some some good things. But I do think they care. I, it'll be curious to see if they keep going forward and trying to build on that or if it's like another 20 years before they make an elite eight again. Yeah, uh, this was very literally... Uh, I would say their best season of all time. Um, and 
I could be wrong. I don't think they won the conference, and they made it to the Elite Eight. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the thing is with, uh, and I think the reverse is true of UCLA in football, though even UCLA in football is a much better tradition than USC in basketball. Um, but I think that the truth is there's no, there's nothing precluding both LA schools from being very good at both sports, um, men's basketball and football. I think for USC, it largely has been, um, maybe at some level, a lack of interest. Um, I think it was also just, you know, it's been, that's a, that is a football school and, uh, that's their priority first and foremost. Um, and it's just always been that way. Um, but they've had some runs, I would say, um, recently more than any other time. I mean, I would say in as, uh, I don't know, as relatively irrelevant as it might feel on the national stage, the last 20 years have probably been the best 20 years for UCL, USC basketball ever. Because um, you've had this Enfield run, but Tim Floyd had some good years. Henry Bibby had some good years. Um, I guess go 25 years. Um, so there's... You know, I mean, I, I think they are trying to do a little bit more there. Um, it just, uh, you know, it's it's hard. I mean, there's, in the Pac-12, um, there is a pecking order. Um, and it's, you know, you've got two elite or near elite programs in, US, or in uh, Arizona and UCLA. Um, and then you've got Oregon that has been very good for some time now. Um You've got Stanford and Cal that actually have decent basketball traditions. Um, so, you know, USC is not, it's not in the top tier even in, within the league. So it just, it's its a different deal. Um, but certainly, I mean, it's an L.A. school with uh, an athletic pedigree. If they showed a lot of interest and really focused on it, and, um, you know, I'm sure they could, they could win at an even higher level than they are right now. Yeah. Andy Anfield is not a good coach, though. That is okay. that is false. Um, he's, All right. I think, I'm a good. To be nice because I don't know enough. He's to a say. good accumulator of talent. I don't think he's a horrible coach, but he's not good. Um, a good coach with that team, I mean, they might still lose to Gonzaga, but they don't just get punched in the mouth and fall apart. Um, I think that team could have just run away with the conference in a way that they didn't. Um, I mean, Evan Mobley is a freak. Um, I mean, it was it was it was a fine job this year. I just think um, if you had a truly elite coach, uh, they might still be playing right now. Okay, that would have been tough to beat Gonzaga, but the way they played wasn't, wasn't even close, the way so. the, the way they showed up to that game. They had no chance. Um, yeah, and with the talent on that team, they should have had a chance. Um, but yeah. they they were beaten from the jump. Um. All right, this is from Hifflade, I think. Oh, yes. Garu Dasana. Uh, nice. This is an asymmetric position in yoga in which one leg, say the right, is crossed over the left, while the arm is on the opposite side, say the left, is, while the arm on the opposite side, say the left, is crossed over the right, and the palms are pressed together. It looks hard to stand that way. All right. Um, he must like yoga. Yeah, I'm guessing so. Yeah. COVID created a lot of disruptions to the recruitment process for the 2021 cycle, and it looks like the beginning of the 2022 cycle is significantly affected as well, with a lot of the typical steps like camps, official visits, and in-person meetings suspended. Different schools have adapted to this in different ways, and it will probably be some time before we can fully evaluate the effectiveness of those various strategies. My question is separate from that, though. 
I'd like to know if you boys think the baseline appeal of any school has been hurt or helped by the pandemic prior to the choices that staffs have made to deal with it. A couple of early predictions don't seem to have proven true, for example, that kids would want to hunker down close to home or that lack of visits to more prestigious schools would be less impactful to them. A lot of fan bases who had disappointing cycles last time and have started off slowly this year have blamed the pandemic, but I suspect that everybody was hurt more or less equally since all campuses and facilities at the Power 5 level are comparably attractive, and the same things that always determine recruiting outcomes, the state of the program, and the skill of the recruiters were dispositive instead. What do you think? Interesting, Hitler Day. I love how he's just like his first paragraph was. I just want to tell you what I think. Now, my question doesn't have anything to do with that, but here's what I, I just wanted to <laughs> I'm just, I'm smart. Here's what I'm going to say. And then, uh, oh, for the question. Um, I think in some cases, the stay close to home thing did work. Um, we did see kids commit to places they've never visited to other states. I mean, people do that. They go to college, right? Like you get into college somewhere and, you, you know, you're from Iowa and you get into like the University of Miami and you never had even been there. And you just you go for your freshman year. Like that's when you first get to college. Like it happens um, sometimes. I, I, I don't think there's some hard, fast rule of what the pandemic did for recruiting. I think the biggest aspect is some states have high school football, and others do not. And I think in general, the 2021 cycle, you got to see stuff early on. Um, you, you, you know, there's camps and things when they were juniors and all that. Now, they got screwed. A lot of these kids got screwed out of their senior year. But you had some, they had some of the recruiting process early. You just couldn't do all the other stuff. For the class of 2022, it's a lot less, right? You're, there's... All those guys we were saying uh, for class of 2021, if you were going to have your blowout senior year and you only had like a group of five offers and then you started getting Pac-12 offers, but you didn't get to play, that didn't happen. So you, you missed a lot of kids missed out on their opportunity for these blowout senior seasons and, and to really rise their, you know, get their stock raised up. But they might have had a, a good enough resume before. For me, for this cycle, there's not that much of a resume at all. And I think this one's going to be a lot tougher. So Hitler, I would say go back and look at this cycle and see how well schools did. I think this is the one you would judge how well they navigated the pandemic more than 2021. But that's just, I literally just thought of that right now, but that's just off the top of my head. But that's what I think. I don't think the baseline appeal of any school has been hurt or helped by the pandemic. Makes sense. Yeah, I just, I mean... I, I, I can't imagine, I mean, because the, the implication would be it would be some way that those states or those schools dealt with the pandemic, right? That those would be the thing that hurt or helped? Correct? Yeah. And I just, I mean, I can't imagine that's factoring into the calculus for anybody right now, but especially kids, because it's a, a hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime event, um, this sort of thing that happens. So, no, I don't think it's affected one way or the other, um, any school in terms of their baseline appeal to, to college kids or high school like kids. Al Al Alabama and Ohio State are still going to recruit at a high level, yeah. right? Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's just sort of like that you're like the, the best-looking kid in high school and you're the quarterback of the football team. Oh, they didn't have football. You're no longer the quarterback. Are you still sitting at the popular table at lunch? Like, yes. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> This is uh, feline favoritism. Uh-oh. 
We're, I think we're getting in some more mascot talk. Uh, hi, David and Ryan. This is from Derek. Been listening for a couple of seasons now. First time writing in. Hey, first of all, Derek, thank you for writing in. Because I know it takes some courage to have us read your crap on the air. Because you don't know what we're going to say. But thank you for writing in. I realized something while listening to the drops for the teams a few weeks ago. It seems like you guys play the meow for Cougars pretty often now. But why are they the ones getting the meow treatment when it's Arizona, who's on a 12-game losing streak? I know the Cougars aren't world beaters by any means, but at least they have a winning percentage above (laughs) 0% last season. So what he's talking about is Washington State Cougars and the Arizona Wildcats. You know why that is, Derek. I can tell you why. Because somebody else created those drops for us. And we don't have the wherewithal, the desire, or anything to change it so that Arizona also has a meow. And if somebody reason- wants to supply us with a meow for Arizona, with all of it connected, so it says Arizona Wildcats meow, please feel free. We would play it because we do have this one. Washington State Cougars. Which was sent into to us. Yeah. And... It's very cool. So when Washington State's doing well, we use that one. But the original one is just because that was what was created. I mean, just in general, someone took the time to I, – and I, we can't remember their name right now. Maybe you remember, David. A but, Washington fan, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but it was so cool, and we use them all the time, and we appreciate it. So, Derek, I don't know how your audio skills are. Are you a big Audacity guy? Uh, and If you can do that, get in there. Uh, if you, we, I think we have some of the raw stuff. We could probably send that to you, um, or anybody. Yeah. Uh, if we you're an definitely... ASU, if you're an ASU fan and you want Arizona to have a meow, hit us up, and you know how to use like, you know, audio editing tools. We, they definitely deserve a meow. Uh, yeah. Well, much more than Washington State right now. So, yeah. and like a sad meow, like a really like. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a hungry cat now. <laughs> Let me in, please. Um, it, but that is a pretty badass wildcat that we got there. Yeah, undeserving of a 12 game losing streak. Above, I love the above winning percentage of up zero. <laughs> so he says. Anyway, keep up the work and be informed that this is a completely unbiased email that has nothing to do with Cal being in the midst of a five game losing streak against Arizona. Well, every other team in the conference has won their most recent game against the Wildcats. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Wow. Cal's a weird one, right? Like, Yeah, that's really weird. One win this season, 2020. Yep. And uh, it was against Oregon. So that's, that's a weird one. All right. This is from Rick. You ready? Yes. Adding to conference. Hi guys, I liked the discussion on possibly adding to the conference. I would agree that the conference should look into adding UH and SMU, so that's University of Houston and SMU. Uh, It would add big TV markets in Houston and Dallas. It would also add a good area for recruiting, making it two seven-conference divisions with South being SMU, Houston, uh, Colorado, Utah, ASU, Arizona, and USC, and the North, UCLA, Cal, Stanford, Oregon, Oregon State, UW, and Washington State. What would you think about that? There's no flipping way they're ever flipping <laughs> USC and UCLA into separate divisions. Yeah, they're literally like 12 miles apart or something. I don't yeah. think you could put them in a separate division. Yeah, no, I think it would be... Um, I don't know that they would ever do this. I, th- I mean, adding two different ones, I think you might go... Would you go pods at that point? 
It might be better. Like, like do a Southwest pod, do a California pod. Um, but the Pacific Northwest schools would probably complain, right? Yeah. Because you what? So, well, you couldn't really do pods actually because it's fourteen teams. Um, oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. We could do pods now. Yeah, you can do pods now. Um, that's. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, 14 I just teams. went what the, like, Yeah, yeah no, you're good. like, whatever. 14 divides into something, right? Um, <laughs> two team pods, seven of them. Um, shoot. Uh, yeah, which would you split? Like, that's I think the you would thing. have to split Utah and Colorado because it's basically an irrelevant rivalry that they don't care about either. Keep Utah with the Arizona schools because they've got some natural built up animosity already. Um, and have them be in the like division with. I think it would probably have to be Utah. Boy, I, I think you would have to go Utah, USC, UCLA, the Arizona schools. I mean, from like a geographical standpoint, and then the uh, Texas schools, um, and then Colorado with everybody who's currently in the North. Yeah. Um, hmm. I think that would work. Or could you split up Houston and SMU? Split up the newcomers. You could, but I think you would want, if you're bringing in two from the same region, you would want them to have like a natural rivalry, which I guess you could have cross division, but I think it'd be easier if it was within the same division. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's see. Well, thank you. Yeah, so, wait, that was it, right? Yeah, that was it. Okay. We have, oh man. Okay. Let, let me pull up this text message because it looks long. Um, I think, is this right? Oh, no, here we go. Uh, this is at David. Burning question. Uh, why is UCLA basketball, this is a text message uh, from Choney19. Why is UCLA basketball so awesome? Another burning question. With the projected roster construction, the next few years, and what Cronin looks for in recruits, do you see there being an influx of crazy talent slash athleticism on a Baylor slash Alabama slash USC level to make UCLA even more elite. Okay. So I'll answer these questions. Um, why is UCLA basketball so awesome? Gosh, what a great question. What a, what a <laughs> wonderful question. Um, cause it's pure, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just great. I don't know, man. Cause they won a bunch of games in the NCAA tournament. It's really cool. Um, I will say this, like it has, I think, more than anything else in the last 13 years has brought me back to like, actually, like, I don't know. You care. I care at a level that I haven't cared about really anything. Like even like the good Mora years were not at the level at which like I'm watching these basketball games. I was a complete psychopath during the last like five minutes of that Alabama game, uh, the Sweet 16 game. Like, from the moment uh, UCLA had it, like, 61-60, and then it was, like, a free-throw shooting contest, I was standing up, jumping around like a lunatic. My four-year-old came into the room and just started, like, dancing around and, like, screaming because that's what I was doing. Um, And, like, clearly was enjoying the experience, and it's very good that she had left the room suddenly when Alabama hit that three-pointer to tie it because um, otherwise she would have been mimicking something else. Um... But, like, full lunacy. Like, absolute, like, college-level craziness. Like, 
And I was one of those dudes who was pretty demonstrative when I was watching like basketball games, and they would go poorly. Like, I won't say I threw things, but certainly I threw some words, some choice words at a, at a top volume um, in the general direction of the court or refs or whatever. Um, so it was it was pretty close to that. So I don't know. That was just something that was interesting, you know. Being a lunatic again watching sports because I haven't really done that since college. So that's yeah. one thing. Um, okay. And then with the projected roster construction, um, I don't, I mean, I think they're going to have uh, an influx of a lot of talent, and I would expect, um, unless, you know, I mean, obviously it's UCLA, so the tires can always come flying off, but I would expect Cronin to be winning at a pretty high sustainable level for a good long while here. Um, you know, it's it's all vagaries of rosters, but I think they're set up right now the likelihood that they lose like real significant key components of this team aside from Cody Riley are pretty slim. Um, I think Johnny Juzang may test, uh, but I think the feedback he's going to get is more than likely going to be to come back for a year. Um, Cause he's not a top tier athlete. He's got some approach stuff that he needs to work on defensively. He's not great. Um, so just, you know, working on maybe his approach to the game is going to be the feedback. So he's probably coming back would be my guess. Um, and then nobody else is an obvious uh, NBA prospect. And I just think Cody Riley is going to want to move on. He's been in school for four years, um, but he could come back too. Um, so I think you've got the roster that's there right now making this run that's more or less going to be intact next year. And you're going to add Peyton Watson to it and Will McClendon, um, potentially a transfer or two. Um, so... I think there's a lot of room to think that this team could be pretty good next year. Um, and then in the future, um, just looking at the recruiting and who they're getting in California, you know, going Peyton Watson and Amari Bailey, you're talking about two elite tier athletes and talents um, who will be key components of each of those rosters. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of recruiting the way a guy um, with his background should be recruiting at UCLA, which is get your top tier guy, but then also leave in your roster with, um, you know, three and four year dudes, you know, don't only get your Peyton Watson, get your Jalen Clark, your Will McClendon, the guys who are going to form the backbone of your program and, and be the ones who are developing over the course of four years. Cause he, he got those guys, they were already within the program. I think he lucked out a little bit and that the roster was already designed for a lot of guys who were going to be developmental guys. Um, you've got Jules Bernard in there who was fine enough last year, but made a huge leap this year um, and is now a starter and one of the guys getting 28 plus minutes a game. Jaime Hawkes is that guy. Um, you know, he's one of these gluish guys who I think by his fourth year, he might be a player of the year candidate. Um, and here as a sophomore, he's making huge impact plays, uh, in the NCAA tournament. Um, and now it's just about, you know, adding that star component each year, uh, which he's already shown a tendency to do. So anyway, I mean, things could always go wrong. I mean, it's, it's UCLA, it's basketball and, and obviously weird things can happen. But, um, as it looks right now, I think he's set up for quite a bit of success, at least for the next couple of years. Yeah. He also says, for me, uh, with Evan Mobley leaving for the NBA, what's the future of USC basketball looking like, 2019? Uh, I mean, I think it's still bright. They're still recruiting at a high level. Obviously, getting a, a guy that's going to be a top three pick in the draft makes a big difference. But there was a lot of games where he was just, you know, he was there. He wasn't like, you know, the superstar. Um, 
Isaiah Mobley could come back. He wasn't a starter his freshman year and played, I thought, really well. Uh, you know, a very efficient player, you know, playing with his brother. You know, that'd be good for them if he could get back. For, all those, and most of those transfers worked out well that they that they brought in. So, yeah, I think they're still, you know, I, like Dave said, I think he's been, Andy Enfield has been a great collector of talent. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm no basketball coaching expert, but you know, there, there's probably some shortcomings there, but he's, he's going to put together a talented team that, you know, it's potential and, uh, you know, they had the potential this year and they actually took advantage of it. Yeah. Uh, we got one text that just says, I'm happy for Dave. I love it. Um, all right. We've got another one, another text message. Uh, David, you're killing me. It's now Thursday, and you've had me waiting for three-plus days. You have a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make Ryan talk USC basketball, which we all know he loves to talk about, in the context of USC shitting the bed and UCLA advancing to the Final Four. I've been waiting with bated breath for three-plus days now for what will likely be a phenomenal two minutes of podcast. I can't take it anymore. Well, I hope we satisfied that. Um, I don't think I I made you talk USC basketball nearly enough. Um, I mean... I, I, I spoke about USC basketball as much as I know about it. I yeah, have yeah, to, yeah. I, I had to do it more uh, for my shows, and we we did talk more basketball, and people are, like, getting on me, like, you don't want to talk about basketball. I'm like, ah, I mean, I've heard just too many times going into a season, they got this guy, they got this guy, they're going to be amazing. I'm like, and then they don't even make the tournament. I'm like, you know, for our business – Football rules, right? Like that's what drives the deal. Even for the UCLA site, oh, it's, I think it's the and same this thing. is this is one hundred percent true. It's that um, look when UCLA makes a deep run in the NCAA tournament, it matters. Like it does affect things, and it does bring traffic that wouldn't have otherwise been there. But you UCLA football, like the lead up to signing day, the lead up to the season, like these are the times where the site is just churning people in and out um like people are coming and checking it out all the time so yeah no i mean football is the driver uh basketball is a, a nice addition when it happens but even for ucla football is the driver and for me you're not for ucla if you have like you sign a top recruiter like you you can get probably more traction out of that in you know november or something where it's harder to do that for usc to me it was about show me a run in the tournament and then I'll care, you know, and then, and actually the fans cared. Like it really did help drive traffic. We created a ton of content. We didn't ignore basketball and even I didn't ignore basketball, but really it was about, to me, it's like, Hey, prove it, you know, show something's going to happen. I didn't think it was going to be, you know, fruitful. And I didn't think the, it's, it's just not, it's not just about like, Hey, this is going to make money. It's about what the fans are going to care about. They would have cared about a Pac-12 tournament title uh, or a regular season title, but they started caring at the end of the season, you know, beating UCLA a couple of times. They cared about that. So, you know, there were some landmarks along the way, like, oh, you swept UCLA, you you know, you beat Oregon. Like, those kind of things were like, you know, but then they would do something like get swept by the mountain schools and lose to Colorado six times in a row or whatever. So, but there was more ups than downs. So I was more kind of into it. You know, like, okay, this is actually, they actually look like a decent team. And then, obviously, you know, making around the tournament, you got it. You know, I, Shotgun Sprouting was in Indianapolis covering the, the game. So, um, we didn't go for the first two rounds, was but he, once they was advanced. He in Indianapolis, or was he in Indianapolis? <laughs> Do you like how they just reused that commercial from the last time they had the Final Four in Indianapolis? People keep saying that, and I, I must 
like the thing is, and this should be obvious now about me, um, I, I don't watch it if it's like UCLA is not involved. Like I, oh. I just I don't. So I'd never seen the stupid commercial before, and then I'm like, this is the worst goddamn thing I've ever seen in my life. It's pretty bad. I, Some of those are funny. That's bad. It's so bad. It's it's so bad. And I'm just, how did you get those people involved? And that's the crap you wrote for them. Can I do um, a little capitalist rant real quick? Please bring it. Okay. Do you watch those Capital One commercials? They're really and, bad. But it is star studded. How much does it cost to get all of those legends in those commercials? Not just one or two. You'll get like five or six like A-listers in those commercials. There's That's, no way not- they're doing that. If they're not making a shit ton of money, you're not making. On- uh, so you think you're making a capitalist rant here? You are making a communist rant, rant because it's why does Capital One have so much money that they can pay those amount of, those people that much money to star in such shitty commercials? <laughs> like that is you have too much money. You have sorry, bank. You have too much money. <laughs> You need to I'm not have telling... so much money because you are not using it right. You are not using it in a valuable way. You need to have your money taken from you. I, I want, but I want to help people and just be like, look, they, they're having those commercials because some of us out there get these credit cards and they charge stuff on them because you don't have to pay for it right now. And then they, the interest pills up and you buy a hundred dollar something that ends up costing you $500. Like, don't do that. If you can, Pay your credit cards down. Use your credit card if you want to. Get your miles. Do whatever. But pay it off at the end of the month. If you can't pay it off at the end of the month, then you probably shouldn't buy that thing. That's my little, you know, try to be financially responsible rant. So if you do that, then they don't make crap tons of money on all the interest. And then they don't have all those A-listers in those commercials that suck. Right. But unfortunately, Capital One has a much better understanding of human behavior than uh, you with your <laughs> idealistic world bullshit about, oh, yeah, you're not going to do this thing that's bad for you. <laughs> I'm just trying to help. Um, do you ever read the book, The Wealthy Barber? No, I didn't read the book, The Wealthy Barber. I don't know. What are you even asking me? It's just, you know, it's like about saving. about Okay, you know, just try to help out a little. What the hell's a wealthy uh, barber? There's no wealthy It's a guy barber. that just, you know, he... Lived within by, his means, put money David away. Shilton. Oh, Jesus. What is this? Compound interests. You know, like, you know, it's just, it's good oh for some God. Okay, everyone out there, Ryan is the kind of guy who reads something that is in the genre business fable. <laughs> it's a financial planning book franchise by Canadian author David Chilton. You're out here advising me with my limited free time to read a financial planning fiction book? Are you out of your mind? Are you out of your gourd, sir? You could probably use it, David. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Sweet. Mother of God. How many of these have you read? Did you read The Richest Man in Babylon? You read The Wealthy Barber Returns? No, I only read the first one. What is this? It's really this just about a, compound No, this is like a whole new world I wasn't even aware of. <laughs> what? Like I, a, a business fable genre. I, I didn't, didn't know, know this was, was a thing. I didn't know either. It's just a, it's a fictional tale about this dude that like 
didn't make a ton of money, but put a bunch of money away, and he ends this up. This is a hundred percent just like the exact, like perfect depiction of uh, post Reagan American society. Like just, and it's all of these books were in like exactly that period, like from nineteen eighty two to like the early two thousands. Every single yeah. one I'm looking at in this genre. Jesus Christ. An American utopia. That's what. Oh you're my god! I, uh, oh my god! I'm gonna vom. I'm gonna I, throw up. That's. I needed to take you. Down. <laughs> I wanted to say the wealthy to, barber. <laughs> Jesus. You were too hot. You were just too excited, David. I needed to <laughs> throw you a curve. Oh my god! If you've read this book, I want to hear a review. All right, anybody out there, if you've read this, I want to I want to hear your unvarnished take on it. But I have a feeling the only people who who've read it are uh, people who are um, heavily indoctrinated already. Mm. But I want to hear. Uh, it. I want to hear. Let's see if anyone heard it. Uh, yeah. Well, that's good stuff. Do we have we don't have anything else, huh? That was it. That was it. That was the magic. I hope people enjoyed it. Would you just real quick, since you did watch a lot of the tournament because UCLA was in it. What did you think of the commercials overall? Um, I don't know. Some of them are very annoying, but that's generally the case with all commercials. Um, I would love to do like an analysis of commercials 20 years ago versus now, because I would say there are fewer of them, not in terms of quantity during the breaks, but that there are fewer companies um, advertising. It seems like it's the same goddamn like four companies all the time. Like that, liberty, liberty, liberty. Like that oh my god, thing. those are bad. That like makes they're me, trying to be yeah, funny. No, that makes not. me want to set fire to something. Um, Capital One. One that annoyed me was the uh, the guy singing and the his um, hood ornament was singing. It just that was creepy. Oh yeah, me. dude. There's just some bad ones. Um, what's the one with the like real estate company where it's playing um, Simon and Garfunkel? Oh shoot! I know what you're talking about. That one's okay. Uh, like it's at least you know it tugs at the heartstrings a little bit, and it's got good music at least. Um, I don't know, man. I, I I try to tune it out as much as I can, but like it's one of the few times during the year where I'm like consistently paying attention to live TV. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's just the Liberty ones are really bad, and the, and then the Capital One ones make me want to commit crimes. But you can tell who's doing well, right? Like, can every single company out there save you $700 on your car insurance? Like, the fact that how much money do these insurance companies make if you can, every one of them is just advertising the crap out of, uh, the, you know, their stuff and, you know, Geico and Progressive you and all are, that stuff. Uh, do you understand the, like, very tiny step you have to take from that to being, like, a full pinko, like, communist? Like, do you understand... Like to make that critique and then just get there. Like you just got to take a t- tiny step. I'm not saying it's wrong that they're doing it. I'm saying we need to realize like if you see why are there a billion mattress stores? Because they make a shitload of money because there's like these high overheads and you can just keep having more mattress stores because every time they sell a mattress, what it costs them a hundred bucks and they sell it for 1500. Um, you know, there wouldn't be that many mattress stores if they weren't profitable. There wouldn't be that many auto insurance car insurance commercials if those things weren't profitable like if they just you know getting someone to switch okay, to but, their brand but, but the make them is, a lot of money the thing is with insurance you're not selling anything that's actually tangible you're selling something that's a fake thing like you're just selling fake bullshit 
Like it's nothing. It's just words on a piece of paper. Mattress, yeah. you're selling a mattress. Like I get it at some level that like the cost involved in making it, whatever, there's an expertise to it, whatever. That for some reason it comes out to that value. Though if you wanted to tell me dark tales of how price setting works in the mattress industry, I'd be happy to hear it. But insurance, like we're supposed to talk about those as if that's a financial success story. Great, they make a lot of money. By what? Charging people for nothing? Like for something, and oftentimes not even fulfilling their obligations that are in their contracts? No, that's just something that we've propped up and that's, you know, in a just world, it's probably illegal. Um, you know, it's funny because we, you know, it's mandate. Like you can't drive your car unless you have insurance. It's mandated. Right. You know, the government mandates that you do that. Is that is that a universal thing like across other countries? I, I don't even know. know. I would love to know. Yeah. I mean, and I think in other countries, it's actually much harder to get a license most places. Um, so that's another thing. But also in other countries, you generally don't have to drive nearly as much as you do in the United States because True, of a bunch yeah. of other stuff. It is a vast pyramid of uh, things that is, you know, at the bottom, generally due to racism. America. Well, we got the racism. Okay. Yeah, yeah. well, because oh. the reason there are freeways. It's generally because of the racism. Also the size, but the size was also, you know, manifest destiny and all that good stuff. Great stuff. I mean, like... China builds like crap loads of freeways and cities and stuff. Is that because of racism? A lot of rail. A lot of rail in China. A lot of trains. A lot of trains. There is a lot of trains, for sure. Yeah. We got uh, a lot of trains. We got a lot of passenger trains going between places. Uh, not a ton. No. No, we don't do that. But they got a we lot got, of... We got any high-speed rail here? Anyways, dude, but they got a lot more people than us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're pretty up there. We got like 330 million. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're in the billions. But, we could probably have some. I mean, not billions. I mean, is it two billion yet, or is it close? It's close, isn't no, it? No, they're not cranking at two billion yet. Come on, one point six or something like that. China population. I'm guessing it's like one point two. Let's see. All right, we're at one point four in China. Let's see what okay. in India now. India is cranking. India is at one point three six, but I want to say that started out. So India India's hit caught up. India caught hit up. a billion in 1997. And now there are uh, 360 million over that. China was at 1.23 billion in 97, and now they are just at 1.4. So okay. India, India's, India's on a mission here. Right. Well, uh, China also had laws that wouldn't allow you to have more than one kid. Yeah, they were, they were going a little hard on it. Uh, India, I don't know that they had any uh, population control laws. Um, I think China relaxed most of that recently, but I don't I think, think it's, so. I don't think it's popped back up. They they need a, and it was probably short sighted. Um, you know, they're probably making some mistakes with that whole population control thing. Um, it's it's hard because when you do that, it's sort of like turning a you know a cruise ship or something or a battleship, right? Like you, yeah, you sort of carrier. demotivated people to get it on, right? And uh, but then it's like you thing. can't just like start and stop it real simply. You know, you gotta well, like and it, there's a natural it's a while to crank that up again. And there's a natural, I think, more or less uh, for much of the world. I won't say global because I don't know the birth rates everywhere, but there's a there's a generally depressed birth rate in a lot of places now um, due to you know, yeah, you know. Increasingly, uh, increasingly apocalyptic conditions, one might say. Um, yeah. So fucking world, yeah, yeah. So we really have gone off the rails here. Holy oh, cow. this is great. This is the best <laughs> stuff. This is for the uh, this is Pac-12 podcast after dark right now. 
at least this was at the very, very end. So someone could have, you know, if they didn't shut this off when I was talking about Pac-12. That's their early, own fault. If they didn't shut it off when you were talking about UCLA's basketball recruiting class for the next eight years, uh, they probably shut it off now. Anyone who's still listening right now, it's their own fault. <laughs> we blame you. Yeah. <laughs> we're right, barely listening to each other right now. Basically. Uh, we have just have a fun conversation that happens to be recorded and played for thousands of people. But, okay, whatever. You know, um, whatever. Right, I sang them a song today, Ryan. I sang the did. people a song. Whatever we do right now is gravy. Yes. Yeah, and you did a good job. I mean, I don't think you have a, a wonderful singing voice, but it was it was I would say it was serviceable. No, that's what I'm saying. I am dad in a shower. That's what I've got. I've got uh, and dad in a shower. You are way better than I would be singing. And I, I have the desire. Like I like to perform. I would love to be able to sing and I cannot. But just doing what you did, uh kudos. That was great. Dad in a shower. That's David, Dad in a Shower. I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Champions, talking some Pac-12 football and a lot of other stuff. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye! Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.